Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. It's been an exciting couple of weeks for me with Thanksgiving weekend, running in a charity 5K for the first time in about five years, breaking my cell phone, getting back into the gym, and now preparing for the holiday season. I just started my Christmas shopping just recently, and hopefully I'll be finished in about a week. And my niece has her first ballet recital coming up next weekend, so that's very exciting. She'll do great. I know she will. Coming up on today's show, it's the third book in the Old Republic series, Fatal Alliance by Sean Williams. Tensions are rising as the Empire and Republic prepare for war, but a new threat arises from a desolate planet in wild space, one so dangerous the foes will need to team up to save the galaxy. And I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But first, it's listener question time. I've got two emails today. The first comes from listener Wesley, who sent me a few emails about Darth Revan and the Knights of the Old Republic and Swotar video games back in late October. As someone who has never really gotten into video games, Wesley's emails were very informative to me. But now, Wesley has a question. Have you seen Tales of the Jedi or Andor? And what do you think of either of them? Well, yes, Wesley, I've watched both. I really liked them both. I loved Andor. It hit almost all of my favorite things in Star Wars. The Rise of the Rebellion is my favorite time period. The Grassroots Revolution. The Espionage. Imperial Oppression infighting between rebel cells. It hits a lot of my Star Wars feels. Of course, I generally like most everything in Star Wars for a lot of different reasons, but Andor hit me a little harder. Rogue One was my favorite live-action Star Wars story during the Disney era, but this first season of Andor ranks right up there with it. One thing I hope to see a little more of in the second season is Mon Mothma's story. I just didn't get quite enough of it in the first season. However, what we did get, I thought was great. I also really enjoyed the Tales of the Jedi show. It did a good job filling in some of the gaps in the timeline. My favorite episode was the one with Dooku and Mace Windu. I really liked the philosophical differences they argued about throughout the episode. Dooku questioning the continued entanglement between the Jedi Council and the Republic Senate. Mace Windu, adamant that the Jedi Council knows what's best. For me, the Dooku episodes help contextualize the conversation he has with Obi-Wan Kenobi in Attack of the Clones. The episodes are a great counterpoint to the canon audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost, if no one has listened to that or read the script that they published. I also enjoyed the Ahsoka episodes, but they didn't really fill in any narrative gaps for me. It was cool seeing her join the fight against the Empire, but having already read the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston, I already knew the broad strokes of that story. I hope this type of short anthology series is something that they will continue doing in the future. They could show things like Asajj Ventress as a Padawan, 
or Beresafi growing resentful of the war? What about Ben Solo in his early years at Luke's new academy? Or perhaps a story about someone from Legends, like Tanel Ka or Jax Pavan. It could be a way to introduce those characters into canon. Who knows? But I know I'd probably love it. Thank you very much for the question, Wesley. Today's second email comes from Elliot, who says, I appreciate your podcast. Spotify randomly recommended yours a week ago, and I've been binge listening to it at work. I've only read the Thrawn trilogy. Do you have a good recommendation that is similar? I really like the fast pace of it. Also, if Disney were to ask you to pick a trilogy for them to make into movies, what would you choose? I would like to see something from the Old Republic because they could create a new storyline that wouldn't destroy the characters from my childhood. What do you say? Well, good questions, Elliot. I have been asked similar questions in the past, but uh, picking a trilogy for a series of movies, that's a bit of a twist. Okay, I think there are some good, fast-paced stories in both Legends and Canon. In Legends, I like the X-Wing series, the Darth Bane trilogy, the Republic Commando series, and a lot of the different short story compilations. In Canon, I really like the book Light of the Jedi. I like the Padme books, Lost Stars, and the Battlefront 1 and 2 novels, Twilight Company and Inferno Squad, respectively. I think all of those books are pretty fast-paced, so give one of them a try. Now, on to your second question, Elliot. Before I answer, I just want to talk a little about how it seems that Lucasfilm chooses what they put on the screen. They've never done book adaptations, at least none come to mind. I guess you could consider the Cobb Vanth stuff from Aftermath in the Mandoverse or the final episode of the recent Tales of the Jedi anthology series as a very condensed, very loose adaptation of the events of the Ahsoka novel. But the story of that book is pretty complicated. Between the initial cancellation of the Clone Wars animated series, then E.K. Johnston adapting the outline of how Dave Filoni saw Ahsoka's story ending in the series. Then, of course, the show coming back and part of that outline gets changed and then we see part of Ahsoka's ending at the end of Season 7 and now the addition of this final Tales of the Jedi episode, which changed a lot of things again. So, personally... I don't think Lucasfilm is ever going to adapt a book or book series into a movie or TV show. I think they might take elements from some, but I don't think you're ever going to get an adaptation. Now, Elliot, you mentioned the Old Republic. It's not a time period that's ever really been that interesting to me, but it is definitely an era that is ripe for storytelling. We could get some great stories from the Old Republic. I struggle with this type of question because I like most Star Wars things, but there are a lot of aspects of the lore that I'm not too keen on. There's nothing that really works as a film trilogy for me either in Legends or Canon. I still think a television series inspired by the Legends X-Wing books or the Canon Alphabet Squadron books would be cool. 
the mop-up of the Imperial Remnant between the end of Return of the Jedi and the Battle of Jakku. To this point, the stuff that has happened during that time period that we get in the Aftermath books and some of the references in the sequel trilogy of films and The Mandalorian, it's not really my favorite. I don't know if everything we've gotten in that time period really works for me. As for the last part of your email, Elliot, um, sorry you didn't like what happened to the legacy characters in the Disney era. Their fates may not work for you, and that's fine. Maybe you would prefer how Luke, Leia, and Han's stories continue in the Legend storyline. Give them a try. If you have any questions about books centering around Luke, Han, and Leia as the Legends storyline continues, shoot me another email. Now, listener, if you want to be really cool like Wesley and Elliot, feel free to contact the show. Send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And also, feel free to record yourself and email it in. Just remember, record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now it's time for today's book, Fatal Alliance by Sean Williams. Grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins at the edge of wild space. A band of pirates led by Captain Jet Nebula has captured the Cinzia, but the crew is not responding to repeated hails. Nebula broadcasts that his crew is coming aboard when someone cries out over the holocom, We do not recognize your authority! Energy begins to surge from the Cinzia. Quickly, Nebula puts some distance between the ships, just as the Cinzia explodes. After the explosion, the pirates search the debris and find something. Two somethings, actually. They gather them up and return to hut space. On Coruscant, Jedi Padawan Shigar Kenoshi and former Republic Special Forces Trooper Loren Moxla investigate a confrontation inside a warehouse. There, they find a Mandalorian named Dow Striver. They try to question Striver about the situation. He asks them if they've ever heard of the Cinzia, or a woman named Lima Zandrit, a droid designer. Of course, neither has. There's a brief altercation before Striver escapes. After the fight, Shigar and Lorin decide to work together to investigate the Mandalorian, the Cinzia, and to find out who is Lima Zandrit. On the planet Droman Kos, Eldon Axe approaches her master, the Sith Lord, Darth Kratos. Axe tries to explain why her latest mission has failed. She was captured and interrogated by Dow's driver. Darth Kratos is disgusted with Axe. He threatens to kill his apprentice. But first, he demands she tell him what the Mandalorian wanted to know. Axe says that Striver asked her something about Cinzia and someone named Lima Zandrit. And then he simply let her go. Kratos reacts to the name. He grabs Axe and orders her to follow him to the data mines beneath Kos City. 
Once there, Kratos digs out a data chip and shows Axe that Lima Zandrit is her mother. When Axe first showed Force sensitivity as a baby, Lima Zandrit tried to hide her. The Sith took the baby, named Cynthia Zandrit, and raised her in the Sith Order, renaming her Eldon Axe. The Sith and the Republic are invited to attend an auction in Hut space for the two objects recovered from the Cynthia explosion. One of them is the location of the planet the Cynthia originated from, a planet the Hutts claim is rich in natural resources, but untouched by civilization. Darth Kratos and the Sith Dark Council send Axe to the auction. The Jedi send Shigar, who brings Lorin along with him, and the Republic sends its own envoy, Ula V.E. But little does anyone know, V.E. is a spy for the Empire. The three groups arrive on Hutta, and along with Dao Striver, prepare for the auction. Of course, Striver, Axe, and Shigar try to steal the objects before the auction even starts, and they meet at the vault where the objects are being held. A fight begins, but so does something else. One of the objects, a shiny cylinder, starts popping out droids, hexagonal-shaped robots that attack everyone in the vault. Several Republic soldiers and some of the Hutt's guards are killed in the battle, but eventually the droids are destroyed. The Hexes proved to be formidable adversaries. In the aftermath of the fight, Dow Striver grabs the other object in the vault, the remnants of a Nava computer, and flees. On the way back to Coruscant with Loren and Envoy V.E., Shigar takes one of the destroyed Hexes, touches it, and uses the Force to find its planet of origin, a small volcanic world in wild space orbiting a black hole, Sabaddon, a world that Lima Zandrit and a small number of refugees landed on after fleeing Sith space. But Lima missed her daughter, and she knew that eventually the Sith would come looking for her. So, being a droid designer, Lima and the refugees built the hexes to protect themselves from retaliation. Only Lima was too good. Not only did she design the hexes, but she programmed them with her fear and anger for the outside world. And she programmed them to build manufacturing engines to produce more hexes. Republican Imperial forces arrive at Sabaddon at the same time. They both claim the world and threaten each other, but when they contact the surface, they're met with the same strange message. We do not recognize your authority! Suddenly, a series of missiles launch from the surface of the planet. Instead of exploding, the missiles break apart in orbit, releasing hundreds and thousands of hexes into the fleets. The droids attack the ships, tearing through the hulls, killing anyone inside, and taking control of the ships. The infected ships attack each other, with some slamming into others like battering rams. In the chaos, Dow Striver contacts the remaining Republic and Imperial ships over a general channel. Striver tells the two sides that Lima Zandrit and the refugees are dead. Without them, there's nobody controlling the droids, 
who see everyone as a threat. Stryver says they must all work together to destroy the hexes here on Sabaddon before they start spreading throughout the galaxy, killing everyone. The two sides come to a reluctant truce, and to keep that truce, Darth Kratos and Jedi Master Satil Shan agree to swap apprentices. Shan will take Eldon Axe and lead Republic and Sith forces down to the planet to destroy the droid factories, while Darth Kratos and Shigar will lead the fleets as they try to destroy the hexes in orbit. On the surface, Axe and Master Shan find Lima Zandrit's ship. Inside, floating in ambiotic fluid, they find a girl with Axe's face, a clone named Cynthia Zandrit. The clone tells them that Lima Zandrit created her from Axe's DNA. She says the Hexes also contain their DNA. The Hexes serve as her protectors, but also follow her commands. She says the Hexes killed Lima and the refugees, seeing them as a threat to Cynthia. The clone's tale is astonishing. Master Shan asks, if the clone controls the Hexes, why didn't she stop them from killing her mother? But before Cynthia can answer, Axe smashes the glass on the tank, spilling the clone onto the floor. For the first time in her life, Cynthia Zandrit is free of the ambiotic fluid, and it's a shock to her system. She starts to panic. She can't breathe. Master Shan tries to help the clone, but it's too late. Her body can't withstand the shock to her system, and she dies on the ship floor. But Cynthia's story gives Axe the idea to defeat the Hexes. If her clone can control them, she can too. Axe soon takes control of the droids, sending them into the lava pools on Sabaddon's surface. But before she sends them all to their destruction, she directs a group of Hexes to kill Darth Kratos. The end of the Hexes signals the end of the Alliance. The story ends with the remnants of the Republic and Imperial fleets returning to their sectors to prepare for the upcoming war. Time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about Fatal Alliance, the third book in the Old Republic series. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Peril is the story of young Padme Amidala in the first few weeks after she's elected Queen of Naboo. Joined by a group of young women with extraordinary skills, Padme and her handmaidens learn how to govern while the threat of the Trade Federation looms over the planet. That's Queen's Peril, by E.K. Johnston. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today's book is Fatal Alliance by Sean Williams. There are some really good parts of Fatal Alliance. Even though it's not the type of story that I'm always the biggest fan of, I'm not usually a fan of the stories where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
where two sides are battling each other, but they realize they need to team up in order to defeat an even bigger threat. Those aren't normally my favorite stories. And that's one of the parts of this book I'm not a big fan of. However, I like the narrative of this story. I like that Shigar is a Padawan that is full of self-doubt. At the very beginning of the book, he's told that he will not be standing up for his Jedi trials. The council has decided he's not yet ready. And of course, it's a bummer. He's really hurt. He's been a Padawan for years. And not only that, but he's the Padawan of Jedi Master Satil Shan. Is there something that he's doing wrong? But when the Jedi assign Shigar this quest to go to Hutta to the auction, but ostensibly to steal the items from the Sinzia wreckage before either the Republic or the Empire can win the auction, they do it as a way for Shigar to prove to himself that he is worthy of becoming a Jedi, that he just needs a little bit more experience, that he needs to overcome this feeling of inadequacy that he's just not going to be good enough that for some reason he's a failure and that's why he's never going to become a Jedi a lot of what I really like in this book is Shigar's inner thoughts his doubts his anxieties over not being good enough And I'll be honest, a lot of times that's not one of my favorite things in a book. There are times where we spend too much time in a character's head and I just start growing to dislike that character. That's how Corrin Horn is with me. As much as I love the X-Wing books and as much as I like the Legends timeline, and I do like the character of Corrin Horn, I think I would like him a whole lot better if we were not in his head so often. So even though I'm not usually a fan of when the good guys and the bad guys team up, I think the way it's done in this book is pretty good. And again, I think it's because of The Apprentices, Shigar and Eldon X. They're two sides of the same coin. It's just one's on the light side of the force and one's on the dark side of the force. You could see that if neither was force-sensitive they would be very close to the same character. Now, the story of robots, artificial intelligence, taking over the galaxy, it's definitely not a new one. There are science fiction stories dating back into the 50s, into the 60s. Stories of AI gaining some level of sentience and realizing that the human population is a threat. You have old science fiction B-movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey, with HAL 3000 trying to kill Dave, Skynet in the Terminator films. We even have a story in Star Wars canon that isn't exactly about artificial intelligence deciding to destroy the population, but it's very close. In the canon novel, 
Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, there is a deranged surgeon who decides that the humans and alien species that rule the galaxy are a plague. And he designs droids that will rise up and kill them all. So the storyline of the hexes multiplying and spreading out through the galaxy is a familiar storyline. And it works. All the examples I just gave you worked for me for the most part. I like some more than I like others. This one's fine. I did like how the hexes were imbued with some of Lima Zandrit's personality. In the beginning of the book, they talk about how when the Sith take a child, most of the time the child's parents and family are executed so that they can't make any trouble for the Sith trying to get the Force-sensitive child back. In this case, Lima Zandrit initially tried to hide her daughter, but the Sith found her took the baby. However, somehow Lima and a small handful of refugees escaped and stole a ship and escaped Sith space. Now, how they found Sabaddon in wild space, a planet orbiting a black hole, that's not explained. It doesn't need to be explained. I wonder how that could happen. Personally, I would imagine it'd be more like a lost in space situation where you're just flying around until All your resources are used up and you have to try to find an inhabited planet. But Lima's fatal flaw was in programming the hexes with this fear and distrust of the Sith. Convinced that the Sith were coming to find her. It didn't take long for the artificial intelligence in the hexes to extrapolate that not only the Sith were dangers to the galaxy, but all humans and all sentient beings were dangers to the galaxy. And the only way to protect the galaxy would be to eliminate the sentient species. Again, it's not my favorite storyline, but the way the author, Sean Williams, does it in this book, works pretty well. For me, though, these Old Republic books, the first one was Revan, the second one, Deceived, now Fatal Alliance. They reference the Great Hyperspace War a thousand years prior, that another war is coming, Heck, in the second book, Deceived, we even saw an invasion of Coruscant and then instantly peace talks that ended the fighting. I'm ready for this war to begin. Now, I've read these four books previously, so I know it's coming. But if I were just reading these the first time, and I think when I was reading these the first time, I was starting to get a little antsy by this point. When is this war that everyone's talking about coming? And perhaps that's my own fault for 
not playing or following the Knights of the Old Republic or Star Wars The Old Republic video games. In essence, these novels are supplemental material to those video games. I know the broad strokes of the games. I don't know all of the details, but I know the broad strokes. I know what happens ultimately in KOTOR. I know what has been happening in SWOTOR. But I don't know all the details. And perhaps if I did, these books would work better for me. As far as they are, they're fine. They're not great. They're not bad. They keep my interest. But they're not stories that I consume quickly. You know, some of my favorite Star Wars books, they just hold your attention. And I can sit there and read 100, 150 pages in a day. These books, two, three chapters, you know, about 25 to 30 pages, and I'm good. I'll come back tomorrow. That being said, I'm looking forward to the fourth book, the final book in this Old Republic series. Now time to wrap up. There's no favorite Starfighter squadrons or holiday party guests today. No one sent any in, but I'm still taking them. So if you would like to send your favorite character groupings, send me an email. I love reading them on the show. And if you have a question or comment for the podcast, email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you want to get your voice on the show, Record your own audio file and email it in. Just record it in MP3 or MP4 format. Anyway, coming up in two weeks, it's the final episode of the year and the final book in the Old Republic series, Annihilation by Drew Karpishin. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.